This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are well off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Julian Spillane is here to talk about two films based on books, Get Shorty and Ghost World. Welcome! Hey, hey, hey! Uh, welcome back. It's nice to be back on the podcast, not like talking exclusively about Kevin Smith. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we get definitely get like a range of uh, uh, topics to talk about in both these movies because they're both very different from different time periods with, uh, let's call them interesting casts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because like these two movies are separated by what, five and a half years, but they couldn't be thematically any like more different. Yeah, they're thematically different. Their structure is different. Like one is super 90s and one is super like early 2000s. And like it's this very specific time period both of these movies are in. Oh, absolutely. Like... I don't like I don't even know where to start with these two movies. I guess we could start with Get Shorty because it's um it's one of those like complicated for the sake of being complicated gangster films that were very popular in the the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. um that are somehow enjoyable because everybody is unlikable. It's yeah. very strange. It's kind of like I I feel like Barry Sonnenfeld, you know, watched Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and went I can do that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cast John Travolta. The word, that's a first step. Get Travolta. Mm. Step two. Off it. Um, I rewatched. So I rewatched Get Shorty last night because it had been, it had been probably like 15 or more years since I'd seen it. And the movie ages spectacularly. Like it's like a fine wine. I for, just forgot how just truly enjoyable the whole thing is. It's mostly like the plot is mostly nonsense. <laughs> There's just a lot, lots of things of like, well, why, why is Chili Palmer pitching uh, this guy a movie suddenly? And I get it. He loves movies. Uh, but why is that such a central point of the plot when it's never really followed up on? Um, there's all these weird little, little like plot threads that just never really get resolved, but it doesn't matter because you're just there to watch the cast through the scenery. Well, that's the thing I realized about rewatching it. Cause I'm in the same boat as you. I haven't watched this movie in forever. And honestly, it was the movie that I made sure that I watched the whole thing through for the podcast. Cause I own movies that I've watched so often that I could just spread out the whole thing and it's fine. Um, but I haven't watched this in so long that I forgot what the movie is about, but I remembered like, certain scenes of the movie you know and i'm like wait why was that guy doing that why did he get thrown down those stairs again i don't even know you know yeah (laughs) and then i'm watching it and then the movie finished i'm like there's no point to this movie but why did i enjoy it so much like i just don't understand how that was possible well and like the motivation so like everybody is out of their goddamn minds except for Dennis Farina. I feel like Dennis, like like Ray Barboni is the only character with legit motivation, which is this guy owes me goddamn money uh, and I hate Chili Palmer. But everyone else's motivation is like, why does Gene Hackman really desperately want 
Danny DeVito? Why does Rene Russo want to help Gene Hackman so much? Why does this limo driving mobster really want to make movies? Like it's, it, it's all just a vehicle for like, for Delray Lindo to, to be, to chew the scenery alongside like Gandolfini and, it, like it's just the cast the cast is bonkers yeah and they do it all so well like you the the problem with analyzing this film is that if you analyze it it falls apart because you're like this is stupid why would we watch this but then seeing them on screen and every every single actor in this movie is fantastic and everything that they do on screen and you're just like why this this works for some reason like it shouldn't but it does yeah and i like that it wasn't like a traditional heist movie or a traditional gangster movie like there was that that like fun hollywood schlock like really just poking fun at itself elements to it he you can tell that sonnenfeld had spent a lot of time doing coen brothers cinematography um <laughs> before doing this film because mm. this it's paced like a coen brothers film it is, but it's somehow um, lighter. Like they're they're quirky, and the story itself, like the people in the story, are relatively dark people. But it's a lot lighter than a Coen Brothers film. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no the the stakes are incredibly low. Well, I know a couple of them could die if you know two people three people die in this movie actually yes um in actually very unpleasant ways too yeah and then there's <laughs> dennis farina who always just plays the asshole in everything he does for some reason and just it so well and the funny thing is is he goes through the whole movie with like a broken nose and this stupid scar on his forehead and he's obviously in pain and because he's such an ass you like the fact that he's in pain? Like it's yes. it's, a, it's a whole it's a whole thing. His suffering is fantastic for the the <laughs> entire. Just like he just has he's having such a bad day. You know that's that's yeah. really like he's having a bad week. Um, yeah, I, I I just just what a fun series of vignettes. Like Chili Palmer is a great juxtaposition. Uh, like just the the budget of John Travolta and Gene Hackman I could watch that all day long like Gene Hackman is just so over the top it's true that's the thing with a movie like this you have to there's a balance that's really required for it you know like you can like they're they're all overacting but they're all overacting to the correct level so it comes across as an attitude compared to a farce yes yes exactly yeah and they all pull it off well because even with like danny devito who's playing an actor who is full of himself he doesn't come across as an actor playing an actor he comes across as just the actor on screen who is full of himself and it's fantastic I love that entire side bit about Danny DeVito's character being obsessed with the Chrysler town and country yeah. that 
Shirley Palmer drives, and for some reason it just becomes a Hollywood trend to drive a town and country. Exactly, which is I of course I completely forgot about that. Um, but but yeah, the next scene, you know, he shows up at um, what's his name Weir's house. Yeah, with this, and he's like, "You're driving a minivan." He's like, "It's the Cadillac of minivans." He takes it for a ride. The next scene, he shows up with the same minivan, and you're just like, "That detail isn't necessary." But it's very good. Yeah, it speaks such volumes to the character they're like they're they're setting up, and it just so well done. Yeah, and it's surprising how they got like such a crazy cast together. Because even at like the end, like what, like not even yeah, it's closer to the end where Bette Midler shows up. Yeah, as the wife of the screenwriter who dies, and she's in two scenes for like two minutes each, and then at the very end, you've got what Hyvie. Um, Harvey Keitel and um, oh, what's that director's name? Oh, Penny uh, Marshall. Penny yeah. Marshall, yes. And you're just like, why are these people here for three seconds of film time? What is what is going on? Who do you know that you could do this? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's definitely was was like a, a Hollywood person's film. Like, all at the end is great, especially because they earlier on. Uh, you know, Harry Zim says that he wants Keitel for Barboni. Like, like he, he's talking about it and it happens. It's a good callback. It's a good callback. Yeah. Um, I was actually really surprised though. Um, you know, like I find a lot of like gangster films and stuff like that age poorly because of language and how they talk to each other and about people, except for the excessive amounts of like um, fucks like all over the place because you know that's what they do they swear yep. um, the language in the film ages fine except for like one kind of throwaway line one of, that I was like Ugh, but everything else was good in the movie I, I would say I think uh, I think there's a they, I, I think the whole concept of referring to a loan shark as a Shylock has been uh, that's something that we just don't say anymore, but they do a lot in that movie. Okay, so that is, so I figured it out within the movie context what a Shylock was. Yes. But what is it and why would it be offensive? So it's generally considered to be a Jewish pejorative um, because it, like, because of the character Shylock in The Merchant of Venice and he's shown as being spiteful, ruthless, vicious, and like just a terrible caricature of a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a nuanced play because the, the whole ethos of, of Shylock's character is that he, despite being a loan shark and despite being a Jew, he is a human just like everybody else. And, you know, he's got that, the very famous speech of, you know, if you prick us, do we not bleed? Um, it's, it's, so it's a very nuanced play, uh, especially by Shakespearean standards. But I, I know that it's kind of short. It's, it's not like, you know, a hardcore slur. I don't know too many people who would turn their nose and get offended at it, but it's just the kind of thing we don't say anymore. Biden got in trouble for saying it uh, a few years ago when he was VP. And it's just one of those, like, I think we moved past that. We can just say loan shark. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know what's wrong with just saying loan shark. I mean. Yeah. And I think it's, it was just like, definitely it was mobster parlance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously it's based on a true guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like Chili Palmer's a real man. 
Yeah, uh, he's actually in the credits. Yeah, I don't know. He apparently appears in the film, but I don't know where or in what capacity. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, he is the last person in the end credits of the cast, and he's like bodyguard number two. Oh. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the... Um, I, I think the like the reason they they really harped on that word was probably because it was in the book a lot and it was probably because it was used by the real Chili Palmer. So it's probably something and it was and it's again it was fairly benign, especially for the time. Um but otherwise you're right. The movie is aged really well. Like there's no there's no real terrible amounts of stereotyping. And even like, you know, Miguel Sandoval uh is <laughs> like you know, being a Colombian uh, named Escobar is like, that's a little on the nose, but yeah. he's so great in it. He's like, I don't, I don't care about my stupid nephew. Like, fuck <laughs> this kid. I just want my money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like Miguel Sandoval, he's just so good in everything he's ever been in. And, and he's one of those guys that I'm like, oh shit, right. I forgot that you were in this, but I'm made happier by seeing you in this. Yeah, like he just shows up everywhere and you don't even realize it because he is one of those like really good character actors because like he can, you believe him as a Colombian drug lord, but you also believe him as like the poor father, you know, trying to take care of his kids or you believe him as like a general in like the army or, or whatever he's doing. You believe him as that. And it's like the Gary Oldman effect is like that same sort of thing where you're just like, oh yeah, it's, it's Gary Oldman in this or it's this person in it. You're just like, oh yeah, he's here. Gotcha. And you know, and, and, you, know you, you, uh, you believe him as a club owner when he's interacting with Howard the Duck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so well, like I said, character actor disappears into his roles. It's fine. Yeah, and that's it's like I, I, I always appreciate that a good like character actor vehicle. Um, you know, you can't can't go wrong with that, and and it's always inevitably entertaining, even if the plot makes no sense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like it's it like this is one of those like movies about making movies, but it's not really about making movies. It's about something around the making of movies that has nothing to do with making movies. Yeah. yeah. See how that sounds complicated? Because it is complicated for no reason. Yeah, for no good reason whatsoever. No good reason whatsoever. Um, and like I was watching the movie and I, I like I, I saw the beginning. Like even like the first five minutes before the credits. You're just like, wait, what? He's in a restaurant and that guy stole his jacket and some other guy had a surprise party and died. And you're just like, why is this? Why is this the opening of this film? What is yeah. what is even <laughs> happening here? You know, um, and I loved I loved all those aspects of it. And um, I think if it was edited slightly differently or they cast like even one wrong care, like one wrong role in it, it would have just fallen apart completely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so it, it's hard to talk about Get Shorty without awful sequels that it spun off. Oh my God, please. No, we can't talk about, what is it, Get Carter? Be Cool. Oh, Be Cool. Be Cool. Yeah. Yes, I saw that movie in the theater and I remember going, what the hell was that? Yeah, Be Cool was was just a... Uh, it, it so speaking of 2000s movies because be cool came in what like 02 or 03 it is 
Oh no, oh five. Okay. okay. But it, it is very indicative and emblematic of its time. And it, like compared to it's just awful. Yeah, because doesn't it have like The Rock? Like it was like his second movie or something. Yeah, like, yeah, something yeah. And like crazy. Because it, it was it was a very weird, like uh I think he was he was a, a bodyguard in the in the movie. Cause like that's one of the you know early things you can cast the rock as. But yeah, like Uma Thurman and and, and Vince Vaughn. Yep, and Cedric the Entertainer, because that it was two thousand five. <laughs> yeah, it was like they were like, who's popular now? We're gonna pick all of you guys, and maybe you know, like there's a James Woods in there for no reason. I don't even understand that. Um, <laughs> and just throw them in, and like Harvey Keitel shows up in there as an actual character this time, which is also confusing if you watched. Yeah, if you watch Get Shorty, it makes no sense. Yeah, he's supposed to be Harvey Keitel, so this is wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely left uh, best left not watched. Uh, And then and then there was the the TV show um, that got made a few years ago. I'm sorry, there was a TV show? There is a Get Shorty television series. Oh my god, I did not know about this. Yeah, with, 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 with IT crowds Chris O'Dowd and Ray Romano. Oh my god. <laughs> 2017, yes, it is here. It lasted, yeah. let's see, apparently it lasted three seasons, which scares me a great deal. Yeah. 27 episodes, okay. I'm kind of happy i never knew about this before but also this makes me want to watch it for some reason yeah it's it's weird because it's not based on the book or the movie Mm. it's just about a mobster who wants to get into the film business um he's not even a loan shark so it's like i feel like they just licensed the name get shorty and that's that's it. Like for just notoriety, like get people are like, oh, get shorty. I remember that movie, so I'll watch the show kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what they did, but I think they miscalculated how many people, you know, truly love Get Shorty. Like it's it's a great movie, but it's not like it's not making anyone's top 20 list. No, it's not. <laughs> no. Um this um, I'm very confused by all of this. Like, I don't, like, I don't even know how you would make this into a show. Like, you would make three episodes would be the movie, technically, and then after that is just him making another movie or something. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think, I think it. I, I'm guessing they really wanted to try and make like a better call Saul out of this. They thought like this is their opportunity to make their you know, slightly serious, slightly comedic show about crime. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, three seasons is impressive, but like, I wonder if they were all greenlit at once, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, my thing is, is like, this movie isn't serious at all. Like, it's not, like, even the parts where like people die and people are threatening each other, the, there is a levity to every single scene, you know? And I think it just has to do with the people in it um they they were just we're like we're having fun with it like even when Den, Dennis Farina is uh who did he shoot he shot um uh Delroy Lindo's partner or whatever and he just starts cut like they just have this back and forth about like yeah he, uh, which was whatever. which was played by um Uncle Rico 
Uncle Rico. Yes. Yeah, he killed yes. Him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like even that scene, which should be like a an overly like intense scene because it's kind of like a standoff. They both have guns. They're threatening each other and all this kind of stuff. It's actually surprisingly like light. And like when he gets shot, you're just like, oh, he shot him. But you're like, oh, I saw that coming. That that's a that that's the thing that was gonna happen. It's fine, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it, 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 nothing. Like you never felt emotionally attached to anybody who dies. Like you know the 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 nephew, like uh, uh, Sandoval's S- nephew. You're like, oh, the second you see him, you know that kid's destined to die. Yeah, because he's an idiot. Which yeah. they they say several times in there because he yeah. is an idiot, an absolute yeah. idiot. But yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's it's. It's definitely a film that is that I would recommend anyone who has never seen Get Shorty should watch it because it's, um, it's it's one of those things that like it's very em- like emblematic of the era. It's funny. It's charming. Um, again, yeah, it's not making my my top ten or anything. But so wait, you're actually saying the show is pretty decent? No, no, I'm talking about the movie. Oh, the movie. Oh, okay. I thought I thought yeah. you went back to the show and I was like, oh, the show's good. What are we talking no, about? No, 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 no. It's just saying like the film. Like if you if you've never seen the film, I think I would recommend it to be watched. Mm-hmm. But I uh yeah, I don't know where I'd put it on my list of like gangster movies. Um, but definitely somewhere up there. Well, see, my problem with it, like I would think now this is sort of like a cliche kind of gangster film you know like especially with people like um guy Ritchie, who made like uh, Lockstock and snatch and and rock and rolla who's kind of like the king of making things overly complicated for no reason but have lovable quote-unquote lovable gangsters in the films yeah um like it's this is the same sort of thing except american whereas the guy Ritchies are very very british you know there's quite like even films like um, Smoking Aces, for example, would fall into this category. Like, oh, absolutely. Type, yeah. This type of movie. And like, I understand why people enjoy this type of movie. But if they've seen that and then they they've never seen Get Shorty go back to this, it'd be like, oh, this is cliche. I've seen this like a hundred times. But you're just like, well, this was one of like the earlier ones where they get this stuff from. So uh, I remember showing my ex um, Rocky. Mm-hmm. And she had never seen Rocky and we watched it together and she was like, you know, this kind of sucks because it's a little cliched. And I'm like, no, you, it's not cliched. It created the cliches. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there are, there are no like cliches without like sports, you know, inspirational, motivational sports movies without Rocky. Like mm-hmm. that is just funny. It, like it, when you, when you don't have that perspective, right. It's true. It's true. Uh, we were talking about this on the last episode when it came to um, Garden State, right? Where uh, it went through, like, when it first came out, everybody was like, this movie is great. And then everybody was like, we hate it. And then it was like, it's great again. And we had discovered based on articles we had read and all that kind of stuff that it went through this whole, this, like, it was like a new generation of people found the movie and they're like, why do people like it? It's so cliche. And then later on, they realized, oh, the genre came from this movie that came before it that's why people used to think it was great and it's the same thing with movie like this and like with rocky where if you've never seen it before but you've seen all of the things that are based on it you're just like why do people like this this is just like 
like note for note cliche. Like I know exactly where this is going, but if this, these movies didn't exist, that cliche would not have been developed in that way. And, you know, you would never have thought of like doing things in that way. Right. Exactly. Like it's, it's, you have to really put certain things in the context of where they originated. Mm -hmm. Cause otherwise like, yeah, of course the, something's not going to seem innovated innovative if you if you've seen it done a hundred times after exactly yeah yeah you know it's like seeing um if the first car you've ever seen is a tesla and then somebody shows you like a 1982 pos you <laughs> yeah. know you're gonna be just like i don't see what the big deal is but you're like that pos came first exactly so, With- it walked so that we could run, you know? Exactly. It's, and it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing with films. It's the same thing with books. It's the same thing with music. You know, like there are things that change genres and there are, there are things that create genres or there are things that put down the rules for the genre to exist. And you have to appreciate that or else you can't appreciate anything else, you know? It's like looking at a movie now and then looking at like, a Buster Keaton film and being like, that's lame. Uh, the camera's so shaky. Why is it moving that way? How come nobody's talking? It, it, Why is it in black and white? Exactly. The only movie worth asking that about is Justice League Snyder Cut because why is it anything? Why Why does that exist? Why? <laughs> yeah, they're doing a full color release and then they're doing Justice League Gray. Yeah. And that's eight hours you want me to put into this that's probably not going to be that good, to tell you the truth. All of um, his trailers have been in five to three or five to four, which is like the old IMAX resolution, but like IMAX digital is widescreen. So I just, the whole decision uh, is confusing. Yeah. You know, the thing about Zack Snyder is he is a very good cinematographer okay? he's a music video director he, yeah. he does like he makes great music videos. he makes beautiful visuals right and but the problem is to create a story those visuals have to go together and people have to talk to each other and that's where his problem lies and that's the reason why his movies do so well, because in the trailers, it's a bunch of random, very pretty pictures that you're just like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then the pictures actually go together and you're just like, this makes no sense. Why am I watching this stuff? Yeah, exactly. Like you, you, you come out the other side going, wait a minute, that didn't make a lick of sense. Exactly. What was any of that? I remember when um, Sucker Punch came out and yep. everybody was losing. They're like, this is going to be amazing. It's all this cool concept and it's all chicks in charge oh. and oh, it's going to be so cool. And then you turn it <laughs> like, oh, they're in a mental institution and they're used as prostitutes and they go into their dreams to escape. Um, and then none of their actions make any sense. And this, this, you just did all of this so you can see a girl in a tight skirt and her boobs out shooting a machine gun. And okay, I, will, gotcha. I will say that, that that's like the, the Zack Snyder movie I hold with like the least contempt is probably Sucker Punch. And that's because it was never presented as anything other than what it was like it at no point did they try to sell you on the idea that sucker punch was anything more 
than hot ladies kicking ass. That's, okay, I'll give you that. I'll, I will give you that. Because, yeah. like, man, I wish 300 had never happened because the toxic dude bros that that sh- fucking shit has spawned pisses me off. Yeah. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is, is an offense to me because the original Dawn of the Dead is perfect. Okay. And it de- definitely did not to be remade, need to be remade. Watchmen <laughs> is good. Watchmen is, is solid. Um, Watchmen, I give a pass because he did the best he could with the the what he was given. Because yeah. that graphic novel, if you put that directly on screen the way it is, people are going to be like, what the fuck? No, I, I actually, know, like I, I'm a huge defender of uh, the decision to, uh, David Hayter's decision when he was writing the screenplay, to change the psychic squid to be Dr. Manhattan, because mm-hmm. it made it make more sense in a contained two-hour story. You know, like yeah. it just the, the 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 narrative decisions that were made made sense for the. Um, so I'm okay with that, but yeah, I think I I, I don't have a lot of love lost for Snyder. Um, we'll see. Maybe he'll surprise me with his unedited four hour long <laughs> diatribe. But yeah, I you know what I hate myself for is that I am kind of a purist, as you know, and I don't like to complain about things unless I watch it. And I know I'm going to complain about this movie, okay? I know I'm probably, there's like a 90% chance this movie is going to be nonsense. And this has nothing to do with Marvel versus DC. This has to do with people who do not understand their characters and try to put something on screen that doesn't make any sense, okay? Yeah. And the worst part is, is I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch this four hour monstrosity just so I can bitch about it. Right. Because if oh, yeah, I don't watch I, it, I can't complain about it. Exactly. I cannot. And I, I can't, I, I'm not allowed to have an opinion on it if I don't watch it. And so I'm exactly. going to watch it. It's going to be four hours of my life. I'm not getting back, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, and it just, it kills me because it's just DC. I'm like, I, I, I can, I'm sure a lot of this is still executive meddling because I think nobody at DC wanted to just straight, like nobody in the creative position wanted to just straight jump into a Justice League film. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, you've got the execs at Warner going, well, but Marvel's making Avengers and making billions. Um, Yeah, but they worked up to that. That's the difference. Yeah, exactly. They, they, They built a whole thing just off of like perseverance and making good film after good film after cared about all of them being united in one film. I don't care about cyborg and the flash yet because we haven't met them. What do I care? You show me a trailer where, uh, you know, cyborg dies and I'm like, cool. Who? I mean, I know who cyborg is, but like just as a, the theoretical, person watching this trailer like why do i care that this person's dead i've never met them exactly right and like all of these companies now are just like oh we're gonna do what marvel did but they're not taking the time to do what marvel did you know like they made four what is it four or five movies before the avengers movie came out and you're like that was necessary to have the 
the audience connect with the characters and then have the characters connect with each other so that when they come together and there is um, something wrong, there is real worry, there is real consequences to what is happening, you know? Um, Whereas like, with with like this recent series of of DC films, you know, with just what is what the Superman movie, then uh, Batman v Superman, and then Justice League, you're like, um, we're just gonna throw these things together because everybody knows what everything is. But you've also fundamentally changed the characters. The characters are being introduced to each other in very strange and odd ways, and you're just like, I don't. I don't understand. Like even even in the the Batman v Superman, they're like, "Who's this chick?" I like, thought she was with you. Exactly, because nobody knows where she came from or what <laughs> she's doing there. What what is the point? Nobody that, knows. It was so lazy. I remember just like, "Oh, I thought she was with you." I'm like, "What is this? An Abbott and Costello routine? You guys were just trying to kill each other, but you, now you don't want to because Martha." Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, I don't like, I just, I don't know. The people making the DC films, I don't know who it is, but they do not understand the fundamentals of the characters. And that's the biggest problems with their movies, you know? Uh, Because they keep saying things like, oh, well, you can't make Superman a goody two shoes because nobody wants to see that. I'm like, they did it with Captain America. Yeah. If they can manage to do that, like he is a very Boy Scout individual who is very happy relatively most of the time. If something is serious, he handles it seriously. If he has to fight, he has to fight. But he is a giant Boy Scout. Well, and that's like the, what Superman is. I don't know if you saw the original cut of Justice League, but I did, sadly. Yeah. So like the whole bit where like Superman comes back from the dead and he's like fighting ever it like superman being bad superman doesn't matter when we've never seen him be good exactly right like like we have seen on screen and i'm willing to accept uh an amoral or like a slightly more you know less boy scouty superman sure that's a take but I'm not interested in that guy being an asshole because you've already shown him being an asshole. So like it has no impact to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like that's, that's just who he is. What's the big deal. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a perfect tangent. Comics, <laughs> comics. Yeah. As we move on to ghost world. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I just want to say one thing. I hate this movie. Really? I absolutely do. And I realized watching it, I remembered nothing about it except my guttural emotion to it, which was, I hate you. Why am I looking at this? And then it started and I was like, I like, you know, it starts with that little, uh, you know, Bollywood 60s music for some reason. Yep. And I'm like, oh, this might be actually like cute and quirky. Maybe I have, it's a movie that I had to grow into. And as the movie kept going, I was like, no, I hate you. I hate everything about you. This isn't working for me. I have a real soft spot for Ghost World. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's because I saw it at the right time. Like when I saw it, I saw it the year it came out. And it, I, it, was, it was quirky in the way 
that I was quirky at the time when I saw it. Like, oh, yeah, I do collect vinyl records. That is weird for someone in 2001 to do. Yeah, uh, I also am like into weird, obscure pop culture references about things. I'm also a bit of an art major asshole who like is a, you know, like a bit eclectic. I definitely saw a bit of myself in all of these characters in the world in which they inhabited Mm -hmm. at the time. And I think it really resonated with me. Plus the like, it's shot. I love the way this film is shot visually. Um, That is something that like, it's, it's these weird, almost documentary style, like long empty shots, no extras anywhere. You ever notice when you watch that movie, everything feels empty. There's like, there's not a single goddamn extra in that movie, except for like the classroom scenes. Or the restaurant scene. Yeah, and that's it. Like, there are just no extras anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe the jazz club. But, like, everything feels so alone and so, like... And 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 it's visually striking. I really like the, the color, the post-production they did to really make it pop. Because that mm-hmm. was... They were trying to adapt the comic, right? Yeah. Does it age remotely well? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It, it is. Is it a is it a good story? Fuck no. Steve mm. Buscemi couldn't be more unlikable, but also Enid could also be like one of the least likable people on the planet. But Scarlett Johansson's character also sucks. So it's like nobody in this movie is likable in the same way as nobody in Get Shorty is likable, except they're just more charismatic in Get Shorty. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I am nodding, agreeing with everything that you're saying, because that that's one of my biggest problems with it. Every single person, even from, like, the convenience store owner, we'll call him Babu, because that's what he's on Seinfeld. It's Brian George, yeah. Tor- yes. Tor- Toronto's own Brian <laughs> George. George. I love that guy. He just shows up places. It's great. Um, but, like, everybody in this movie is unlikable. From waitresses to, you know, the teacher who teaches the class to the obnoxious one who's like, this art has to come off the wall. Like, everybody in this movie is unlikable. And I'm just, I was sitting there watching this going, why am I looking at this? I'm hating every minute of this. God, I need this to stop. And I, like, do, I-, I do love it as a skewering of those types of people. Like, like if you look at it from the lens of, you're not supposed to like any of these characters because they all suck. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what? Enid thinks she's so smart because she's a girl pointing out racism. Like that is, that is like, that. the whole ethos of her character is how she's a true artist mm-hmm. uh, because she's doing this, this like high concept, you know, uh, pointing out like corporate hypocrisy in in, in like, the kind of thing that art the art students we've all met those kinds of art students and she kind of embodies that. Yeah. Um, so okay. So I do have questions about that part because you are like okay when I was watching the film right and she she did that in that scene it actually makes it seem like she's more. Um, making it up as she goes along instead of having an actual intention i find yeah i yeah i i I vacillate i again it's been a while since i've watched this this one's been like about probably five years or so since i saw Mm -hmm. it yeah you might be right that she like uh 
is just kind of winging it, but I think she doubles down on it, you know? She does, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so I have not seen this movie since I bought this DVD. Um, I bought this DVD to watch this movie um, because it was right around, it was probably like maybe two to three years after the film came out. And I was, you know me, like I love my comic books. I read comic books all the time. This was during my, I'm sick of DC and I'm sick of Marvel and superheroes. I gotta, I gotta see something different, you know? And so I started buying like, you know, getting into like Vertigo comics and image and, you know, standalones and self publishes and, and all that kind of stuff. And I had heard about this, this movie coming out and I was like, oh, this might be interesting to see what they would make out of a comic book, like something that was on page that wasn't a superhero film. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I've never read the comic. Um, I only watched the film. And then I remember sitting at home watching the film prepared to be like, oh, this is going to be deep. This is going to be interesting. And then hating it. Like, I remember that emotion, even though I remember nothing about the film. It's just kind of like the the um, American Splendor when I did that one and the Harvey Pekar stuff where I was like, I remember liking this movie, but I, I don't remember anything about the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I, I was in the same boat. Like, I think at the same time, I, I never read the comic at, uh, like until after seeing the film. Um, but I was reading like Transmetropolitan yes. and that kind of stuff uh, around that era. Cause like, yeah, I'd gotten fed up with, with superhero comics. And I, I, again, I was trying to like trade up to something more intellectual as it were, but I, yeah, I, I really, really used to dig ghost world. And now like, it's again, one of those movies that I think, I think is still worth, I would still recommend it to somebody if they wanted to see a movie that is perfectly embodying the early 2000s. Yes, I, I actually really agree with that. Um, because like you were saying before with the visual style of it and the fact that they were trying to distance themselves from like this very, like like with Get Shorty, that like, um, very likable quirkiness to a more yeah there's quirky that you like and then there's quirky you don't like and this is what it is yeah um and that's what this movie does but it's not done in a way that you're like i like this movie even though everybody's unlikable because like there's movies like that that exist you know not like i'm not talking get shorty but like there's other movies out there i'm trying to think of one oh like um Igby goes down, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's the visual style is very different than this, but you hate every single person in that movie. You dislike them. Like you gutterly dislike them Um, because they're not good people. They all think they're smarter than everybody else and everybody owes them something. Um, But the thing is at the end of the movie, you like it. I mean, that might change when I get to that movie and I watch it, but who knows? Um, but but that movie is a movie that people actually like like it's a movie that I used to recommend to people like watch this if you just want something different to look at mm-hmm. right whereas this movie is is unless you're just like oh what's a quintessential like 2001 like 2003 movie I'm like Ghost World I would say you're that gonna hate it but whatever. the thing about Ghost World is to me it is one of the most 
Gen X films I could think of. If you want to like embody, because like when you, when you start to think about when Generation X people were old enough to be directing and writing films, mm-hmm. it would be around the late 90s, early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and then the sheer disaffected nihilism of all the characters is it feels so like perfectly stereotypically gen x yes uh well because i mean this is like uh no this is the end of the grunge stage right yeah yeah uh where you're like they're not you're not feeling sorry for yourself anymore. You're feeling sorry for everybody else because they just don't get it, you know? Um, And I think this movie really does represent that. Um, Especially with like, um, what's her name? Is it Enid? Enid, yeah. Yeah, with Enid and um, like Scarlett Johansson's character um, is just trying to be like, yeah, I'm disaffected and everybody's stupid, but I need to function and move on with my life. So this is all I'm trying to do right now. Whereas Ina's just like, no, 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 nothing changes. Screw society and screw anybody who doesn't agree with me. And that's why she alienates her friend at that time as well. And it's just all very, I guess maybe it is kind of depressing. Like it's, it's, it's sad, really, you know, like, People get lost because they do it to themselves, essentially. Just like Radiohead said, which was probably a song that came out around this time. So it it makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, the director, Terry Zweigoff, (laughs) like, what a weird career. Um, He did two documentaries. Then he did Ghost World. Then he did Bad Santa. (laughs) Yeah. Then he directed Art School Confidential and then never produced anything again. I also saw Art School Confidential in the theater, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it, again, same energy. Yeah. I, think, I, I actually think Art School Confidential was also a Daniel Close comic. I think it's, this, it's based on the, the same author um, did the comic for Art School Confidential. So that mm. checks out. It's about right, you know. Yeah. I, I remember, like... Like, I have a very specific memory about that movie because it was one of those things where uh, I was out with my friends. We were just super bored. Uh, We're like, what are we going to do? And I was like, oh, I heard about this movie, Art School Confidential. And like, I talked them into watching it. But also we stopped at the LCBO before we went, you know, got like a couple of small bottles of stuff. And we're in the theater and we're like, oh, well, if it's good, I'll just I'll just watch the movie. It's fine. And no, like two minutes into the movie, we're just like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, it really, this? it really so is. bad. <laughs> but I love the juxtaposition between like two indie, you know, we're feeling sad for ourselves, Gen X uh, movies. And then bad Santa in between those things. Like what? Yeah. I, that, that's like the weirdest uh, outlier amongst them all. And I kind of love it. I kind of love that that's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I should have looked that up before, but I didn't realize that that's amazing. I don't know. I don't even know what else to say about this movie because like it's, 
I'm used to movies being quirky. Like I, I've watched many a quirky film where there's sparse dialogue or sparse spaces or strange characters, you know, and they're just kind of like moving through life or resisting life. That is a very normal concept for films. But I don't, I don't know. There's just something about this movie altogether that just makes me angry. You know, <laughs> like, like I legitimately, like I finished the movie and I was just like, this is fucking stupid. Like, and I walked away. Um, I don't know. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. Um, like, I, I think it's, it's definitely one of those movies that it, it just lives to piss you off, you know? <laughs> Well, maybe the thing is it did what it's supposed to do. Like it's, it's, it's supposed to be sort of, uh, I guess, reflective of a mentality at the time. Like it's, it's technically it's hipster mentality, right? Before hipsters were cool, I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now it did. Now what, what Ghost World did give us is it gave us Officer Doofy from Scary Movie with nunchucks in a convenience store. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I'm just, I, I was just like, what is the point of this guy? Like, why is why is he here? Why is this necessary? Why does this scene happening? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? And also the whole thing with the old guy waiting for the bus. And like at the end, they sort of brought it back in. They're like, oh no, he's a. He's a constant of things that not changing. And when he leaves, it shows her that things do change and have to change. And that's why she also gets on the bus because she has to change with it. Yeah. Fine. But that whole thing was just a lot of fluff. Oh, it's it's a, like the most hamstrung, ham-fisted metaphor, right? Like it was a lot to take. And that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, I I don't know, like, and the the thing is, too, is like, there's not bad actors in this film, you know, uh, Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson and uh, Steve Buscemi. Like, it's it's very early, especially in Scarlett Johansson's career. Like, it's very early in her career, um, even though she did do quite a few things as like a official child actress, yeah. but she had not, not done anything like as an like. I think this was like her first quote unquote a like as an adult thing that she, yeah, she, she was in the man who wasn't there as well uh, around that same time. But, I, but she wasn't really like a, a, a focus of the film where in this case, this was, I think her first starring role as an adult. Yeah. It's no, yeah. the horse whisperer. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, I can't make fun of it. I didn't see it. It's fine. I just it's, know about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> Robert Redford making a horse girl movie is fine. Uh, <laughs> wow, there's so much wrong with all of that statement. It's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't really have much to say. I think the music is, um, it's it's a great soundtrack, uh, especially mm. like if you, if you like old school blues, um, it's great. It's just funny that like so much of it um, revolves around this like obsessive hipsterism uh, from from Seymour, Steve Buscemi's character, mm. and it's 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 a neat. I I think that's a neat conceit. Um, again, a guy who just he can't let go of the past. You know, it's kind of like she wants to stay where she is. 
Seymour can't let go of a past he didn't even really experience. And Rebecca just wants to move on. And that's the kind of the trinity of the film, as it were. Yeah. Uh, And the thing is, Rebecca makes the most sense in the whole thing. And not because of her quote unquote conformity to societal pressure, but just the fact that she wants her life to continue. Like she doesn't want to be in the same place. She wants... She wants to do things. She has aspirations. And there's nothing wrong with with not knowing what you want to do or not having like uh, an exact focus, but wanting or accepting or or purposefully keeping yourself in this very stuck and specific moment is not healthy. It's not it's not good. No, absolutely you know? not. Um, and yeah, it's true. Ingrid and, um, and, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting people's names. Seymour. Seymour are get along with each other because they both accept being stuck in a place like, like you mentioned. And also it's just the, the creepiness factor of Seymour obsessing over this 17 year old girl. Really? Because, Okay. So, so that's one thing that I slightly disagree with until the last like 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Because it's really the 17 year old is obsessed with him and keeps showing up because he does not in any way go out of his way to keep her in his life until she shows up and says to him, essentially is like i'm here let's have sex and she's they he's it's very wrong for him to agree yes um but that's when the obsession begins well it's kind of like a really lazy retelling of of nabokov's lolita without any of the like social commentary or or satire around that like because that's the whole thing The, the whole um I don't know if you ever, if you ever read Lolita, but the, the 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 just the sheer concept of this is told from Nat from the the man's perspective, and the whole thing is like, well, you know, she just she was so obsessed with me, and I just I couldn't help myself, and I fell for her charms and her wiles, and that's kind of what happens with Seymour. Like at the very end, he's obsessed. By the end of the movie, he he realizes that he needs Enid. And that's when she abandons him the most because he's finally paying attention to her. Yeah. And she finally, you know, she wanted him because he paid no attention to her and he finally does. And she walks away because yeah. she's an awful character. And so it's kind of like, like a like lazy Nabokov side story that they're trying to do there, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't land. Yeah. It doesn't land because it doesn't really make that much sense, you know, because if he is so, um, disillusioned and so disinterested in current times and she is she makes herself available to him I don't like I think if the character was staying true to who he was I don't think he would care you know what I mean yeah I agree with you there so like that's what I that's what I found kind of weird about it because there was no sense of like uh, like obsession with him until that point there was no sense because he was he kept being like 
why are you here? Why did you show up to my house? Why are you at this party? Like, I know you like the music and I know you like the records and I gave you a record, but why are you back? Yeah. Why are you, why do you keep coming back? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my thing with it is like, I know she is a child compared to him and I know what he did by accepting her advances is, is wrong. Uh, But at the same time, he came across less creepy until that point than I expected him to. Yeah. And, and I don't think it reflects like, it's just more the, the, the scenario and the characters It just adds to the unlikability of all of them. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And like, and the thing is just when you first are introduced to him or he shows up for his fake date, nobody shows up and you're just like, Oh, this feels horrible and bad. Like you want to meet him and you want to, you not necessarily like him, but you want to have sympathy for him. Yeah. Um, and that sympathy dissipates super quickly because you realize this guy's an asshole. And even if it was a real date, he would like l- lose the person anyways, which he ends up doing when the real person does show up. He gives it up on a whim because yeah, just because he's a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. Exactly. And and this is one of my problems with this movie is like you don't have not everybody in the world is garbage. You can have a person who has some sort of likableness to them within it. Like like um, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character is like you don't hate her and you don't like her. She's just not around enough for you to be like, I have an opinion but you kind of get her point of view. Yeah. You know, even her like father, you're just like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this? And this, this old girlfriend he brings back into the house. You're just like, you met her for three seconds and you hate this woman. She's horrible. Cause at first when you hear her being talked about, you're just like, oh, it's just like teenage angst. And you know, it's my dad and you know, my mom's not here and you can't take her place. Like you think it's that thing. But then you meet her and she's on screen for like a minute and a half and you just want to punch this woman. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no likability there, but yeah, I like, it's one of those films that I still have a soft spot for the, the time and the place and the sound and the look of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the contents, meh, yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the package is nice. It, it's a, it's a really lovely uh, piece of wrapping paper and box, you know? Yeah, one one last thing I'd say about I think movies like Napoleon Dynamite wouldn't exist without a movie like this. I know Napoleon Dynamite is not based on a comic book, but its structure and its tone is very similar to this. They just have slightly more likable characters in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the you can immediately see the legacy and the genealogy from this movie to Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so any last thoughts about these, both of these movies? No, I mean, I think they're, they're both very, one is a far more enjoyable watch than the other. Um, but they're, and they're both very evocative of their time. Um, but I think we kind of like said all there is to say about, about them. I'm, I'm literally surprised that Get Shorty has had so many further adaptations. Um, so am I, now I found a new one that I'll have to track down somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows where that was broadcast on. I know, because I'm looking at it on IMDb and it's made by, what is Epix? I don't know what Epix is. Oh, Epix? Yeah, it was. Oh, uh, Epix. Haha, <laughs> I'm hilarious. Yeah, it was like owned by MGM for a while. It was like a satellite distribution thing. 
Yeah. Okay. I wonder where I'd be able to track that down. I, I'm probably, you know what? 20, like I'll, I'll do this recording, do the edit. We'll talk, I'll talk here about it again. Like, Oh yeah. I'll look it up in five minutes later. I'll forget about it. It's fine. It's, it's yeah. not a thing that I'm, I'm going to like harp over. Like I must Probably. watch this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on this episode and talk about these movies with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. It's always fun to talk about movies. It is, as you can tell, I talk about them a lot. <laughs> well, if you want to do a, if you want to do a crossover some point in the future, um, my I don't think I don't know if you remember my friend Avinash when we were at the Elephant and Castle for something a while ago. Um, but yeah, he he came out and um, we do a podcast together uh, called Bits, Bites, and Bourbon, and we just uh, drink bourbon and talk about um, what's going on in the tech world, but also what's going on in comics, movies, and gaming. And uh, if you ever want to come on and talk movies and comics. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, where can they, where can listeners find your, your podcast? Is it just like. It's on Sp- yeah. It's on Spotify, Apple uh, podcasts, um, Google play podcasts or whatever the service is called now. Mm-hmm. Um, just all, all the main ones, but we, I listen to it on Spotify. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I will definitely check it out. And I will definitely put me down. I will definitely come on and, and have a chit chat with you guys and drink some bourbon. That'd be awesome. I, yeah, we're going to do a we're going to do a Snyder Cut episode, a special. <laughs> so maybe I'll just drag you into our yeah. our, our our pain and suffering. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do a lot of yelling, probably. So be prepared. We're, okay? we're, that's that's our plan, too. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I I also heard that uh, you put out a video game recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just released a game called Mighty Fight Federation. If you're a fan of fighting games, if you're a fan of, uh, you know, party games, um, we're available now on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, PC. You basically can't miss it. Um, and we've worked on it for a couple of years and really happy and, and, and excited to get it out there and get people playing it. So uh, if that sounds like up your alley, please check it out. Awesome. Um, do you want to uh, yell out some of your socials that people can find you on? Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Julian Spillane, uh, J-U-L-I-A-N-S-P-I-L-L-A-N-E. Um, you can find Mighty Fight Federation at Fight Mighty on all the platforms, Twitter, Insta, Facebook. We're not on TikTok yet, but I'm too old for that. I don't know how that works. <laughs> okay. I'll make sure to put um, everywhere people can find you on the website as well. So the easy linking um and yeah that's awesome i'm looking forward to your podcast and i'm also looking forward to playing this game i've got to i've got to get on there excellent yeah and uh thanks again for having me this was a lot of fun yeah it's always great to have you uh well that's it for this episode of off my shelf until next time you can follow along on instagram and twitter at oh my shelf or you can send an email to ohmyshelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we're doing something special. I'm going to have my first international guest, where we're going to be talking about the classics, uh, Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. Hope you'll be here to listen.